Well, good morning and welcome to the Mount. And man, I, my name is Adam and I'm so excited to be with you this morning. I wanna say good morning to our Fredericksburg campus and everyone joining us online, wherever you happen to be here in Northern Virginia or all over the world, we are excited to be with you this morning. And I know before we move any further, I know our hosts have already said it, but uh, I just wanna take the opportunity and just say thank you to our veterans as well. You guys are awesome. Um, you know, I, I've always had a, a huge respect for the military, but it wasn't until my house started shaking from the bombs at Quantico that it kind of ratched up to a whole new level. And so um, I just want to say from my family to you guys, we appreciate your service and for you being willing to stand up and serve our country. So thank you very much. Uh, well, this morning, if you are joining us for the first time, we are in week three of our series titled There's More to the Story. And over the last couple weeks, we've been looking at these, these stories that Jesus told. And, and most of you know this, but those of you that are maybe a guest with us for the very first time or joining us for the first time in a couple weeks, Jesus loved to tell stories. In fact, over a third of everything Jesus taught or said in the New Testament, the first four books of the, the Gospels, over a third of everything he said in them was in the form of a story. Jesus knew that stories connect with us. They draw out emotions that sometimes we feel but can't express. Stories have a way of, of showing us a picture of something that words cannot describe adequately at times. And the stories that Jesus told were these stories called parables. And we've said this definition every single week. A parable is really just an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. What does that mean? That means that Jesus very intentionally would have told a story to the first century kind of Palestinian living, the, the Jewish person living in Israel during the first century. He would have told a story that they immediately understood the context of. And he would have used things they were familiar with, things from their, their culture, things from their daily life. But he would have taken that, that earthly, everyday, normal story and attached sort of an eternal or a heavenly meaning to it he would have made it more significant. And over the last couple of weeks, we've, we've looked at different stories that Jesus told. We looked at a story with the two builders where Jesus was telling us that as people who want to follow him, our life, the foundation of everything we are as Jesus followers must be built on obedience to his commands and to his word. Last week, if you were with us, we looked at the story of two other people, a Pharisee and a tax collector. And what we realized in that story, it is not the, the good people and the bad people in the world. It's the humble and the proud people. Jesus looks at us and says, are you humble enough to acknowledge that without me, you are nothing? And that everything good you have in you is because of my blood and my sacrifice and my forgiveness for you. And so this morning, we're going to pick up in another story, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 14, if you have your Bibles with you. If you don't have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to download the Mount app, and you can go in your app store, whatever device you're using, and find it there, and all of our scripture references and, and sermon notes are there as well. Or if you're kind of joining us for the first time, and you're not really sure you're committed enough to download an app, I get it. You can just kind of follow along on the screens and just be a part of what God is doing through those. And so while you're returning there, I need to set the scene because remember every story that Jesus told was to a specific context and a specific culture. And so we're jumping in in the middle of a dinner party. Like we're, we're kind of landing in the middle of this party. And what's happening at this dinner party is Jesus was invited by a ruler of the Pharisees. So think like the Pharisees were the, we talked about this last week, they were the elite religious class. Well, this is the ruler of the Pharisees. So he's like the elite 
of the elite. He's in charge of all the elite people. So this guy was knowledgeable. This guy was respected. This guy was renowned. He knew everything there was to know about the law. Everyone wanted to eat at his house. The dinner party would have been extravagant. It would have been lavishly, food would have been everywhere. There would have been all kinds of different things for people to eat. People would have lined up for months to get a ticket to this party. It was important. And so Jesus is at this dinner party and, he, and he's there and what he realizes at this party, which, which happens in our society when you're at a place where there are fancy people and famous people, is the people who are gathered there begin to jockey for position, right? They want to find out like who's going to sit where, where are we going to sit? Because the way dinner parties worked back then is there was always kind of these seats of honor. And the further you got out from the center seat, the less um, prestige, the less honor, the less uh, value you had at the party. And so people are sort of jockeying for position, and they begin to talk about jockeying for position even in eternity, in the, in the kingdom of God is a phrase that we'll hear. And so Jesus, like he normally does at parties that he's invited to, he doesn't just go along with the crowd and let them talk. Jesus stands up and begins to, to teach them in a way, and he tells them, listen, you're, you're jockeying for position. And what he wants to know, he, it doesn't matter where you sit. Like, like if this is the person in charge and you're on the right hand, that's the seat of honor and the left hand is the next seat and so on. He says, it doesn't matter where you sit in the kingdom of God. It matters that you, where you stand with God. And you can imagine the shock that this would have had, right? I mean, people in the room would have just gotten silent and they would have been like, who does this, you know, small backwoods Galilean carpenter think he is? To tell us that we can't jockey for position in the kingdom when we are the most elite people in the world. We are the people that everyone wants to be. And he has the, the audacity to tell us that it's not about our position where we sit, it's about where we stand with God. You can imagine it was tense, right? It was awkward, it was uncomfortable. Maybe people are looking around. If, if this would have been modern, people would have immediately got out their phone and been like, what's going on on Instagram? Like no one would have known what to do in this moment. This, uh, on the car ride home, couples would have been saying, I can't believe he said that. Did you see what he said? And so one person decides to break the silence. And we're gonna pick up in verse 14. Uh, to break the silence, this one person says, when one of those at the table heard him, with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And so just like he changes the subject almost. He's like, you know what? Uh, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast. And this was a normal statement. But the way that this Pharisee says this, there's this, this, this arrogance about him that doesn't necessarily come through in just the casual way. He's basically like picture him kind of leaning back, sitting at this dinner, and everyone's awkward and it's uncomfortable because Jesus just made it really that way. And this guy just looks up and he says, blessed is the one. And he's kind of tapping his chest like me. Blessed is the one who gets to eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. So what he's doing is he's, he's, he's acknowledging his pride. He's acknowledging his goodness. He's acknowledging that he is someone who keeps the law, who, who follows the rules, who does what God expects people to do. And he says, blessed is, blessed am I. Like I get to be in this kingdom feast one day. 
Now, let's pause for a second before we go into the story any further, because this, this, this kingdom of God feast is a, is a recurring theme that comes all throughout Scripture from the Old Testament all the way to the book of Revelation. And, and what this is, is it's, it's, it's going to be a parable about salvation. And a lot of times in Scripture, salvation is referred to the moment we are kind of justified, right? When we think of salvation, there are three movements in salvation. There is justification, the moment that we are made right with God. There is sanctification, the lifelong process of learning and conforming to the image of God. And then there is glorification, the final moment when we are, we are dead and we are in eternity forever and we are glorified in our human body again with Jesus and we see him in his glorified form. And what we see in scripture is that that process of justification and glorification is often kind of described as a celebration. It's a, it's a feast, it's a, it's a banquet, it's a, it's a dinner, it's a supper for those of you from the South, Right? It's this thing that we long to go to, right? Like being made right with God, having eternal life is not described as this boring, you're one day gonna sit around on a, cl- a cloud and play harp all day. No, it's a feast. There is lavish food and it is good for your soul. And so Jesus, this guy says, listen, blessed am I because one day I will be glorified in eternity. And he's just bragging about his spiritual life. And Jesus breaks the mold here. The the normal rabbi teaching would have been when somebody said, blessed is the one who eats at the feast in the kingdom of God. The normal kind of rabbi statement, the thing you were supposed to say if you were a good rule-following rabbi would say, yes, blessed are those of us who follow the law and please God in our obedience. But Jesus doesn't say that. He, like always, goes into a story. And he, he tells this story, and he, he breaks the mold, and he tells this story, this, this story about salvation. And he says this in verse 16. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. So, so Jesus tells this story. He says, let's talk about the kingdom of God. Let's talk about salvation. And he says that there was a man who was throwing a banquet and he invited many guests. And so the way this would have worked, and he said he, said he invited many guests, but by the time the banquet was ready, the feast was ready, he sent his servant to go and tell everyone, come, the banquet is ready, the feast is ready. So in their culture, in, in early century, there was two, in, every party had two invitations. And, and we recognize this, but let me just make sure we're all on the same page. So the first invitation would come weeks or months months in advance. And it was sort of like a a save the date. Hey, we're having a party on such and such date. All of the parties were always in the evening. You didn't have to ask the time. And you would just say, okay, yes, I'm RSVPing. I am going to the party. Why was this so important? Because they didn't have a, you know, a a giant they could drive down to or a Publix or a Weiss. They didn't have a a grocery store that they could pick groceries up. And so what happened is the person who was the host, the person hosting the party would need to know how many people are coming so they could know what kind of animals to go buy to be able to kill. Because there was this, this elaborate system that told you, depending on the number of guests, what meat would be served. For instance, if there were two to four people coming, you would serve chicken. If there were three to five people coming, you would serve maybe a goat. If there were 10 to 15, people, you might serve a bull. And the list went up and up. And so you had to know who's coming so that I can go and find an animal, buy an animal, have it butchered, have it clean, get the meat ready. And there was this elaborate process. 
But then the day of the banquet, the day of the feast, the day of the dinner, everyone knew, they started in the evening, so everyone knew, I'm gonna be ready around three or 4 p.m. because at some point today, this party, this elaborate feast is going to happen. And so when it was all cooked, when the plates are all set, when everything's all ready, the host would then tell his servant, hey, go and tell everyone it's now ready. And the servant would begin to march through the streets. Oftentimes they would be playing uh, musical instruments with them or they would carry a band with them because it was this big fanfare because someone who was wealthy and prestigious was throwing a party and they would go to house to house to everyone who had previously RSVP'd and knock on the door and say, the party is ready, the time has come, let's go. To a party they've already accepted, an invitation they've already said, I'm there for. In verse 18, so this happens in verse 18, it says this, but they all begin to make excuses. So the servant gets to this house, the, the houses, with this second invitation to, to the people who have already said yes to coming to the banquet. He gets there and he says, hey, it's time, let's go, let's go eat, the party's happening, this thing you said yes to is now ready. And all of a sudden, those people can't make it. Now, remember, cultural context for Jesus matters. This, this isn't like some casual thing like you and I, if, if, if I invite you to lunch and you, you know, text me the same day and say, hey man, I got things going on at work, I can't make it. Or you're like some of you, like I, I would turn down dinner sometimes if I had free Wizards tickets in Washington, right? Some of you, you're an introvert. You would turn down dinner just because you don't wanna be around people anymore. You've hit your limit, you're done, right? Like some of you, it depends on the restaurant the person's taking you to, you're like, I'll go to there, but not there, right? Like, so we just kind of casually will say yes or no to things. But, but in this culture, to, to accept an invitation was a socially binding contract. So when the servant shows up and says, hey, the thing you already said yes to, it's time to come, and they say, nah, I've got excuses. Everyone at the dinner party listening to Jesus tell this story would have been shocked. They would have said, that makes no sense. This is a big party, this is a, a, a ruler, this is a lavishly wealthy host. Why, why is no one coming? Why are they making excuses? This makes no sense. They, they've known about it for weeks and months, they've known it's coming, they should have been planned. And so it says they all began to make excuses. Look at the rest of verse 18. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it, please excuse me. Now. We're gonna see some pretty lame excuses here, okay? This first guy says, hey, I just bought a field and I need to go and look at the dirt. <laughs> now, that would be the equivalent. Let me just put this in. I'll tell you what this, why, why this is a lame excuse. This would be the equivalent though of if, if my family was like, hey, we're coming over for dinner to your house next Monday night. And on Monday afternoon, I text you and said, hey, we can't make it tonight. I just bought a house and I need to go make sure it's a good house. You'd be like, why? well, that's a weird, like, why do you buy a house without looking at it? And houses don't sell very quickly like that. It takes a process, right? And so this guy says, I just bought a field. No, no, the average time to buy a field in first century Jerusalem would have been about one to three months. So this guy knew he was purchasing a field. During those three months, there would have been multiple times he has gone to the field to see it because he doesn't know if you see a field without looking at it, what if it's just rocks? You can't plant there. What if it's just a stream? You can't plant there. He wants to know, what is this land that I am buying? So he has already seen the field. He knows what the field looks like. Also, the party is at nighttime. You don't go see a field at nighttime. 
So this guy is literally just being like, yeah, I, I, I don't want to come. It's not a good time. I, I, I bought a field. I need to go see it. I just, I, I can't make it anymore. I know I said I would, but you know what? I'm just not going to be able to do it. And then another, verse 19, another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Uh, again, like some of you are laughing, you, you know where this is going. This is, this is again, is a lame excuse. He says, listen, I really wanted to come to your party, but I just bought some oxen, oxes, ox, oxen. Yeah, it's not like foxes, it's oxen. Yeah, so I just bought some oxen. That's a weird word, right? Like, I don't know, it was just a side note. He said, I just bought like five yoke of oxen, which is 10 ox, five pairs of oxen, right? Okay, so he says, I just went and bought these. And I'm really losing it right now, guys. <laughs> Let's just pause for a moment. He bought a lot of cows, okay? So, uh, <laughs> so he bought 10 cows. And basically what he's saying is he's saying, listen, I bought 10 cows with horns and I need to go make sure they work. That, that's not how it works. You would know if they work or not. You don't go buy livestock without looking at them. Also, it's dark. What are you going to do with them, right? Like, this excuse is not valid again and again. He's just making this. It's kind of obvious he had no intention of ever coming. Because the language even, he says, I am on my way to see my oxen. He wasn't even at home waiting for the party to start. He was already about running errands, doing things. He had no intention of going when Jesus, or when the man in the story called. And still another, verse 20, still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. This is like the ultimate, like, my wife won't let me come, I'm sorry, like, <laughs> I don't think he's saying that way, but like, that's what it, it sounds, you know, like when a teenager is like, I can't come play, my, my mom won't let me, he's like, I got married this morning, I can't make it, like, no, like, weddings take time to plan, he knew what day he was getting married, like, I don't know about you guys, but I knew when I was getting married because I knew what I was doing that night, right? Like it was planned, it was scheduled, I knew what was happening, and like this, this, it just doesn't make sense for him to say, you know what, I said yes to your party, but I forgot, I got married this morning. <laughs> like maybe, he, like he's never gonna remember an anniversary ever if this is really true for him, right? But like this guy obviously is not true. And he doesn't even say, will you please excuse me? He just says, I got married, I can't come. He, he, is, he is just not even apologizing. It's this, this ultimate kind of like dishonor to the host. Everyone listening in Jesus's audience that day would have said, this guy is intentionally and deliberately humiliating the host who's throwing the party by saying he got married and he can't come and doesn't even ask and say he's sorry or ask for forgiveness or anything. And so we see three people who have previously said yes to this, this banquet, this feast, and they say, you know what, I, it's just not a good time. Today's not the day. This moment is not the moment. And so verse 21, if you're, if you're the servant or you have to go back and tell your, your host, your boss, like, hey, none of them are coming and, and he has prepared this, this lavish meal, all of this food and there's no refrigerators, he can't save it. So what do you do? Do you just throw it out? What does he do? Verse 21, it says, the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and he ordered his servant, look what he says. He says, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. So he says, fine, 
The, the people who were supposed to be here, the, the religious leaders, the, the elite, the people that I originally invited, the people who had said yes to me that don't want to come anymore, fine. They've got excuses, that's fine. And he gets angry, right? He gets, he gets frustrated. One of the translations of the Bible says he gets, he gets furious. And he says, fine, if they don't want to be here, just go into the streets, go into the alleys, go into the town, and just find everyone who everyone walks past. The people who would never be invited to a party this good. Find the blind, find the poor, find the crippled, find the lame, bring them and bring them to the party because there is food for them. He says, go and find everyone that no one wants in their presence. Because you see, in this culture, being poor, being lame, being crippled, being blind was not just kind of a medical condition. It was said that you were unclean because of this. These are the people that no one wanted to be near. These are the people that if you saw them on the street, you would walk around them because they were so dirty and so filthy and so sinful, you wanted nothing to do with them. These were the people that it was socially unacceptable to have them at your house for dinner because people would look down on you. This was an outrageous invitation. Everyone listening to this story would have said, whoa, rich, wealthy Big time people who throw parties don't invite those type of people. That's, that makes no sense. Verse 22, so he goes out and says, sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still more room. The servant goes into the, into the alleys, he goes into this town, he finds the poor, he finds the crippled, he finds the lame, he finds the blind, he finds all of these people and he comes back and he says, sir, I, I brought all of them I found in the city, in the town, I brought every single one of them, but yeah, there's, there's still room at your table, there are still more seats, there is still room for more people to dine and feast at this banquet that you has lavishly prepared. And so verse 20, 23, it says, then the master told his servant, he said, fine, if there's still more room, go out into the roads. And the country lanes, like, go further out and further out. Widen the circle. Keep going and keep going. Go out and compel them to come. Why? So that my house may be full. So the servant, he, he goes out and he gathers people and come back and says, there's still room for more. And what does he do when he realizes there's still room for more? He sends them out further out of the city into the country lanes. And just imagine this scene for me for a minute. Like if Jesus is telling this story, right, you've got, you've got people who can't walk, and so you have these servants who are literally picking these people up, holding them, taking them to this feast, taking them to this banquet. You have people who are poor, who have never had a good meal in their life, and they're taking them saying, can't wait till you can smell and taste and eat this food that has been prepared for you. He's finding the blind people who can't see where they're going, and he's guiding them. He's saying, listen, there is something really good waiting for you down this road. Let me take you where you need to be. The servant is having to carry and walk and personally move these people to the house because these are the people who can't get there on their own. And he says, listen, I know it's a journey. I know it's a walk. I know it's hard. I know it's inconvenient. But it's worth it. And with every step, they begin to, to smell the food. They begin to hear the party. And then they get inside and sit down but there's still more room, is what he says. There's, there's still more room. Listen, this is a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. This is a beautiful picture of Jesus in the heart of him as our master. He says, listen, at my table, there is still more room. There are seats prepared 
at a banquet that is better than anything you have ever been invited to. Go and find the people no one else wants. Go and find the people that are downcast. Go and find the people who are blind and lame and poor and crippled. Go and find the people that everyone in society thinks are not good enough or worth it. Go and find them and personally bring them to the feast that I have prepared for them. Listen, this is the good news. This is the good news of the Christian faith. That so many thousand years ago, God looked down at us and every single one of us as a human being, we were the poor, we were the crippled, we were the lame, and we were the blind, cast out on the street because we were worthless in the eyes of God because of our sin, but God did not give up on us. He looked around in heaven and said, you know what, there is still more room at my table. And he said, my son, I'm going to send you to Jerusalem and then broaden out further and further and further so that you can bring people to me. Listen, the people who were blind, the people who were poor, the people who were crippled and lame, they didn't deserve to be at this dinner. They were just minding their business, going about their day. And all of a sudden somebody showed up and said, hey, can I take you somewhere awesome? And in that moment, they recognized life is different. That's the Christian faith. It's not about following the rules. It's not about doing every single thing God says to earn your way to heaven. No, it's about the fact that there is a father who has prepared a table for you and I. And he says, come regardless of who you are and I will forgive you and make you new. And so, and so what we see in this story, and I just want to close real quickly with this, is we see there are three, three groups of people in this story that I think we can identify with. And the first is there are those who have excuses, right? The, the, this, this first group of people, they, they've accepted the invitation, but they don't actually care about going to the party. And you would say, what does that mean in our, in our modern context if this is a parable about salvation? These are those of us in the room that have said, yes, I want to follow Jesus. Yes, I believe in Jesus, but I have no desire to live like he asked me to live. Yeah, 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 I'm all in. I want to be, I want to get my card that says get out of hell. I want to get it punched so that one day I can be in eternity. But when it comes to the here and now, I have no desire to live or be a part of the banquet that Jesus is throwing for me, to live my life to the full, to the abundance that he promises. No, 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 no. I want to have one foot in his kingdom and one foot in the world because I want to do it my way. And in essence, what's the, what's the excuse that we all make? What's the excuse that they all three made? They all said, I have a field, I have oxen, I just got married. In other words, it's not a good time. And how many of us in our human fallen sinfulness, we say yes to Jesus, but when we see the things he's asking us to do, we say, Jesus, it's just not a good time. Like, it's just not, I get what you're saying. It's, it's not a good time. I got a lot going on at work right now. There's, there's a lot going on in my family. It's not a good time. Like one day when I can get this situated and this taken care of, then I'll be all in. Then I'll be fully devoted. Then I'll let you be Lord over every area of my life. Right now, it's just not a good time, Jesus. I've got too much going on. Basically, it's people who want to live in the banquet and live in the world. People who desire to be with Jesus, but when it comes down to it, they've got more pressing matters to attend to. 
They'll get serious about Jesus later when it's a better time. What about you? Is this you? Are you saying, Adam, like, I believe in Jesus. This is not a good time to follow him. Listen, I'm not, we don't have a lot of time to unpack this, but at the end of this parable, and it won't be on the screen, Jesus says, the first people that were invited that passed it up, I moved on. Listen, my, my fear as a pastor living in America is that there are a lot of us who have said yes to Jesus as our savior, but no to Jesus as our Lord. And you can't have one or the other. They go together. What's your excuse? And you say, well, okay, that's me. What do I do? You repent. Daily, every single one of us, we repent of our selfishness. We repent of our desire to live in this world and not follow and submit to Jesus. What do, you, what do you mean by repent, Adam? What does that mean? Repent is basically just turning away from one thing or something and turning to something else. The example from this story would be when these guys got invited that second time to fully surrender to the lordship of Jesus and they said, not right now. It's not a good time. I've got my field. I've got my oxen. I've got my marriage. And none of those are bad things. But what they should have done is they should have said, yes, all of these things are drawing my attention, but I'm going to repent from these things, I'm going to, instead of walking to these, I'm going to release these things and I'm going to run to the banquet because I realize that at the banquet of God and the kingdom of God, the table that he has prepared for me pales, everything over there pales in comparison to the goodness and the mercy and the grace of what God has for my life. And I will run to him. Church, daily, we repent and run to Jesus. Secondly, and we're running out of time, we've got to move. Secondly, there are those who don't know they were invited the people who, who simply just did not know they were invited. This is the group of people that haven't responded to Jesus because they had no idea they were even wanted. They, these are like the poor, the lame, the crippled, the blind in the story. The people who were out in the country lanes, the people who were far away from the religious elite. These were the people who thought no one cared about them and they had no idea that there was a party that they were being invited to. Listen, maybe you're here this morning and you thought, I'll never be good enough for God. My past is too dark. My sin is too much. My, my mistakes are too much. Uh, I just, there's no way. I, I'm too broken. I'm, I'm too far away. I'm, I'm too far removed. And even if God wanted me, it's too much of a distance for him to cross to get to me. Listen, make no mistake. God's grace can reach you wherever you are. That is the goodness of Jesus. No wound is too deep. No sin is too big. No chasm is too wide. You are invited by the creator of the universe to dine and feast at his banquet, and you are loved. And you say, I get that, Adam. You're like, I get that, Adam, but, but I don't know. Hear me. There's room for more. The house of God never fills up. There is room for more. And you say, but Adam, like, I don't know. I just, I have so many questions. I, I can't commit to following and loving a God that I just have all these questions about. I get it. You, you can imagine the blind, the poor, the lame, and the crippled when someone came up to them and said, hey, there's a banquet that you can go to. 
And really, do I trust you? I can't see, I can't hear, I can't. And so they just have to start walking that person. But with every step of obedience towards the banquet, they begin to smell the food. They begin to hear the party. They begin to feel the warmth until they finally sit down and they realize that I had to leave the place where I was by faith because a servant came to me and said, by faith, I'm gonna take you somewhere good. And there are some of you this morning, you are over here and you are stuck in this place saying, I don't really know if God is that good. But by faith, you've gotta take that first step. And listen, you don't have to do it alone. There are those of us who are passionate about Jesus and many of you in this room, and we want to walk alongside those of you that have those questions, those of you that are unsure, the same way the servant walked alongside the crippled, the blind, the poor, and the lame and led them to the Father. Maybe, just maybe, this morning, You are far from God, and you need to hear that there is room for one more. And you need to come to the feast that God has prepared for you, a life that is abundant. And lastly, the last group is those who are the servants. Those who are the servants. Over and over again, the servant in the story is told to go out, find people, and invite them to the banquet. I love how it says the man, the host, right? He sends out many invitations. I don't think this is some sort of like casual word that Jesus uses here. I think this is a very intentional word that Jesus used. He said he wanted the master, the master wanted his house to be full. In the original language of the New Testament Greek, that word house is not a physical dwelling. It refers to a relational connection. So what Jesus is saying is he's saying, listen, the master is sending out his servants and he's invite, He's telling them, go and find people and invite them into a relational connection, into a family with me, the master. Church, we exist for one more. Those of us that have said, I'm I'm following you, Jesus, I'm surrendered to you, and I'm at the banquet, guess what? We don't just sit at the banquet and soak up the word and soak up our spiritual disciplines. No, that's a part of it. But we are also told as a servant that we are to be sent out into the world to go and find the poor, find the lame, find the broken, find the crippled, and say, let me show you who my master is because my master has prepared something for you. Church, who are you inviting? Who are you reaching As a servant who has been sent out, how are you proclaiming the good news of Jesus to the world around you? There were those who had excuses. There were those who didn't know they were invited and those who were following and were sent out as servants. Which one are you? Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful that you uh, tell stories in such a rich way, that you are a God who uses your word to pry open our hearts and show us what it means to follow you. God, this morning, as we continue in this moment of prayer, I just ask that you would speak to us. God, maybe as we're, we're praying right now, there are some of us in this room who we would say, man, Adam, you're, you're right. I'm in, that, I'm in that second group of people. I'm someone who I didn't even know I was invited. I didn't even know God wanted me. And this morning, I want to give you a moment to respond. This morning, there is a God who loves you and has prepared a life for you that is so good. Is it perfect? No. But it is good. And all you have to do is accept the invitation and respond. 
with all of our eyes closed and heads bowed, if that's you this morning, if you say, man, I, I wanna respond to the invitation of God to join him at his banquet for the first time and make Jesus my Lord, would you just slip up your hand wherever you are? If your hand is up, one of our, our prayer team, they will bring around a card to give to you to kind of to help you take those next steps. I wanna pray for you. Father, we are thankful for everyone in this room and everyone watching online who is surrendering their life to you. Jesus, be our Lord in every way. Thank you for inviting us to your banquet. And everyone said, amen.